If you have a Bible, open to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at the first nine verses, and I promise you um, I'll be done in less than 20 minutes, okay? Put a timer on me and click go. So John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Uh, check this out. Look, look on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, that's where you'll, you'll see the scripture. John says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Colonnades are porches, okay? Here, verse 3, look at this. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, stop right there. Probably in your Bible, if you're looking um, in, a, in, a, in an actual Bible, there'll be a little footnote there. Because it's a footnote for verse 4. If you notice, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Verse 4 is this interesting little uh, explanation verse that in the oldest copies of the Gospel of John isn't there. So what, what Bible translators do is they will translate this, this piece of, of, of material and put it in a footnote and say, hey, in the oldest translation, this isn't here, but here's what it is. And all it is is an explanation about this pool at Bethesda. You see this, this myth, uh, myth, mythological myth, mystery, whatever, had, had arisen around this pool. Bethesda is a word that means house of mercy. And so at this pool called house of mercy, there was this, um, there was this belief that, that the, when the waters bubbled up, and it was probably an angel bubbling the water, that's what verse 4 says, that that if you could get into the water, if you could be the first one into the water, you would be healed. Whatever was wrong with you would be taken care of. And so news had spread all over, uh, all over the, 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 the geographic area about this pool. And people would gather there. It, John says a great number of people. A great number of people had gathered near this pool in hopes of receiving a miracle in hopes of receiving the impossible. And so John says there are blind people there, and there are lame people over here, and paralyzed people over there. Why? Because, because John tells us, without saying the way we would say it, that misery loves company. So all of these people, all of these broken, jacked up, messed up people would gather at this pool because they were hoping they would get a miracle. They were hoping they would receive a healing if they could get into the water. And so John goes on to, to, to bring the focus from this large group of people to this one guy. Look at this, verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm 39 years old. All the kids say, whoa. I'm not old. But here's the deal. I'm, I'm older by one year than this guy was invalid. That's a long time. 38 years. This guy is there waiting. 38 years on a miracle. And look what John says. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, look at this question. 
Do you want to get well? Turn to the person beside of you and just say, do you want to get well? Kids, look at your parents and say, do you want to get well? Harsh, Jesus. Jesus. Bro, you can't do that. This would have gotten Jesus fired from every pastoral staff team in America. Seriously. Jesus. You gotta be a little bit more considerate than that. Kids, have you ever been with your parents and and you ask a really good question, but your parents give you that like stank eye, like shh. Kids, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Like you the eyeball. Anybody had the eyeball look at you? If we were in the crowd with Jesus, we would be looking at Jesus giving him the eye. Shh. Do you wanna get well? Jesus, he's laying on the ground on a mat for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. What kind of, what kind of teacher are you, Jesus? Jesus, don't you understand? We don't challenge people on their issues. Jesus, Jesus, you're just supposed to console and comfort. You're not supposed to get all up in their business. Challenging people, challenging them on their brokenness, challenging them on their weakness. Jesus, Jesus, that's uncomfortable. You're not, you're supposed to ask questions like, can I do anything for you? Do you need anything? Can I get you a cup of water and bring it to you because you can't get up? Jesus, you're not supposed to get that confrontational. But here's the deal. Whenever Jesus asks a question, he never, he never wasted words. He, he asked a question because the answer to the question held a revelation. And that revelation in this case was a miracle. But the response of this man reveals the condition of his heart. Check this out. Look, look, look at this. Two things I want to show you. Verse 7. Here's how the guy on the ground laying for 38 years responds. Sir. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. If you have a Bible, I want you to highlight, underline, star, whatever, that first phrase, I have no one to help me into the pool. I have no one to help me in the pool. This is the first clue that there's something more than physical wrong with this guy. Because you know what my answer would have been? Yes! <laughs> Do you want to get well? Yes. Yes, I want to get well. Can you do it now? Can you give it to me in the drive-thru lane, in a bag, like fast food? The sooner the better, Jesus. But what did this guy say? What did this dude say? I have no one to help me into the pool. Jesus, it's not my fault. Jesus, it's it's. It's all those people, they won't help me, Jesus. Jesus, nobody will help me into the pool. They don't like me. When I go into the room, they don't talk to me. This guy's answer reveals that he, he's, not just, he's not just paralyzed invalid on the ground. He's also sporting a huge badge of victimhood. Jesus, it's everybody else's fault. For 38 years, bro? Nobody could push you in. Nobody was available. Nobody was available to just kind of give you a kick. 
38 years, not even a push, and it's all their fault. It's all their fault. See, here's the deal. Here's something that the Lord showed me because we're in this series, Stronger Than the Struggle. And if you're going to be stronger than the struggle, you're going to have to come face to face with your own, your own tendency to wallow in self-pity. Because self-pity is self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. Self-pity is self-absorbed. I'm, I'm only looking at me, unhappiness about what's wrong in my life. And here's what self-pity will do. It'll leave us isolated and alone. It'll leave us isolated alone. It will block all hope. It will block all connection to other people. And it will block all relationship. Because you're just sitting by the pool on your mat of self-pity. And I wonder how many of us in this room wearing badges of victimhood where we, we, we get online and we post and we talk about how hard our life is and how nobody will help us and we're sitting in places of pain and sickness and isolation. Woe is me. I saw John Chris. Anybody follow John Chris on Instagram? You need to. He is hilarious. He was walking around Target and he saw those like graphic tees and one of them was like, I can't adult today, Right? <laughs> And he looks it up and he goes, he's like, you see these people like, I can't adult today. Uh, your grandfather fought in World War II. And you can't adult? What? It was hilarious. I, I, could, I, I haven't laughed harder than, than that in a long time. But the truth is, man, it's easier to live in defeat. It's easier to live in, in everybody else. It's all their fault. It's easier to live in that place than to admit that we've got to step out to see a miracle. That sometimes God calls us to step into a miracle. Everybody has to show up for their own miracle. Nobody can show up for your miracle for you. You've got to show up for yourself. Number two, look at this. This is the second thing that says something's not right in this guy. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So for 38 years, no, not only nobody would give him a push, but he couldn't get in there fast enough. You would think after 38 years, he would kind of just wiggle to the edge so that when the water bubbled, he could just roll over into the, into the water. But, but, but notice what he says. He says, when I try to get in, somebody else gets it before me. See, it wasn't his sickness that paralyzed him. It was everybody else's blessing. Did you catch that? Let me say it again so you don't miss it. It wasn't his sickness that paralyzed him. It was everybody else's blessing. Because he lived in constant comparison. That's how comparison works. Comparison will render you powerless. It'll leave you powerless. And here's what comparison does. Comparison is the enemy's way of convincing you that God cheated you. It's a powerful weapon, man. If the enemy can keep us focused on looking at all the other people and what God's doing in their life, we'll never see what God's doing in our life. How God is moving. And we only feel this way. We only feel this way when we're so focused on what they're receiving 
And here's what happens. When I'm focused on what they're receiving, suddenly I start harboring jealousy, resentment, envy. When, when really what God has called me to do is participate in their blessing. Uh, we, we, one of our, our coaches uh, talked about every time like a new church opens up down the road and goes into a building campaign, he sows into the building campaign because he can't be envious of what he's a part of. That's a good word, man. It's like, I can't, I can't be jealous of what I'm participating in. So I sow into that so jealousy doesn't get in my heart. So let's go back to Jesus' question. Do you want to get well? Are you ready to be whole? Are you ready to show up like a grown-up? Are you ready? The man had every excuse, but excuses never healed anybody. Jesus says, are you ready to show up? And evidently, Jesus knew that there was some level of faith in his heart. So Jesus looks at him in verse 8. He says, then get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at this, the man was, once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. I want you to show, see, show you two things. Number one, Jesus tells him to do something he couldn't do. Jesus, he's been an invalid for 38 years. He can't get up can't do that. It's not in my skill set, Jesus. I don't have the right personality. Jesus, it didn't come up in my spiritual gift assessment. I don't have the gift of serving. I don't have the gift of giving. So I don't think I need to participate in this offering that the church is doing because I can't do that. A lot of us will never experience the miracle God wants us to experience because we refuse to step out and trust God and do something that we can't do. This guy could not get up, and Jesus told him to get up. Jesus will tell you to do things that make absolutely no sense in the natural, but they make perfect sense in the supernatural. They make perfect sense with eyes of faith. And then this is the second thing I want you to see, and I'm almost finished. Look at this. In this story, Jesus didn't pick up the mat for him. Jesus didn't roll it up, and Jesus didn't help him walk. Jesus didn't get down on the ground, lift him up, and, and put him on his shoulder and roll up his mat. and, and get, No, Jesus said, get up. Jesus offered him a moment to walk in victory because he had his healing at the ready. But the man had to activate his faith and trust through an act of obedience. Through an act, if the guy disobeys Jesus, he never gets healed. Or maybe he, so, listen, this is a word for some of y'all. You've already been healed. You just need to get up. He would have never realized the healing that was already his if he didn't activate his faith and stand on legs that he had never used in 38 years. Some of y'all have, have gifts you've never used and you don't realize that you've been healed of things because you refuse to activate your trust and activate your faith. So Jesus will invite us into a moment where we can respond to him in faith or we can stay where we are in unbelief. So what, what are we going to do? Because we have to, here's the thing, here's the last thing I'm saying. We have to move out in order to walk in. We got to move out of fear if we're going to walk in courage. We got to move out of shame if we're going to walk in purity. We got to move out of anxiety if we're going to walk in peace. We got to move out of worry if we're going to walk in rest. And we've got to move out of lack if we're going to walk in blessing. Come 
You got to move out to walk in. And he won't do it for you. That's what we want. Jesus, do it for me. Jesus, do it for me. He won't do it for you, but he'll invite you into it. He'll invite you to take a step of faith. Some of us, we're, all, we're constantly believing that our circumstances define us, that we need somebody else. We need something from the outside. And maybe you come to church, and you've come to church for a long time, carrying this, this weight, looking into a future that you can't touch. But you won't walk into your destiny until you walk in obedience. That's what this guy shows us. Some of us, we prefer to be accepted, pitied, enabled, but not changed. And not challenged. But life, listen, listen, I'm almost done. Life is full of these places where we have a choice to make. We can spend our days focusing on what we don't have, focusing on, 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 on what place turned up empty, Focusing on what they said, focusing on what she did, focusing on how they betrayed me, focusing on how they hurt me, focusing on how they got what I actually deserve. Or we can turn our full focus and attention to God and turn our trust to him. What he has called us to do, the word he spoke over us, the obedience he's challenging us to make. Listen, our effort is not worthy because it is perfect. Our effort is worthy because it's in obedience. And that's it. It's because it's in obedience. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for you this afternoon. Lord, we...